Hi, I'm Jonathan Mann. I'm Matt Condon. And this is Digitally Rare, a show about digitally owned things and what that means now and what the heck that means in the future. Digitally Rare. This week we have uh, a very special guest, Ben Parat. Am I saying your last name right? Is it Parat? You nailed it. Parat. Nice. Yes. The reason I wanted to have Ben on, I'm not sure that the people listening to this podcast are mostly um, pretty hardcore crypto NFT people. I'm not sure how many would would know who you are. You're the founder, co-founder of Supply, and you were the creative director of Electric Objects. And um, you're an all-around internet design guy. But the reason that I wanted to have you on the podcast is because out of like everyone that I follow, everyone that I know from sort of, you know, the old tech world, the non-crypto tech world, you are the first, the very first to like pop up on my Twitter timeline and be like full on into crypto stuff. So that I got really excited when I saw that, when like I saw you pop up on Twitter with like working on NFT stuff and like that's like where your head is at. I think like the first thing I would love to hear, Ben, is first if, if, I, if I introduced you the right way and if there's anything else that you would like to add about like who you are. There's so many different projects that you've done. But also what got you into crypto? Like what was your... Did you have a moment or was it more of a slow burn kind of thing? Well, hello. Thanks for having me. Definitely don't want to add anything to your description. I greatly dislike talking about myself. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to let that, let that ride. And uh, so what got me into crypto? I, you know, it's funny, like a hundred years from now, 2018 will seem incredibly early. Like I, I try and do that fairly often where you, you sort of jump ahead a hundred years and what is 1918 to us? You know, it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> it's like, holy cow. Oh yeah. Um, but so I, so I, the reason I say that is just I feel like I started pretty late and it is pretty late. It was late 2017. Um, I had bought like 100 bucks worth of Bitcoin maybe a few years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But then I needed the cash and I sold it like a few months later. <laughs> uh, perpetually broke, essentially. Um, so, I, you know, I kind of I, I kind of knew about it for a while. But the reason I got into it in late 2017 was simply because of work. I had been interested in learning more, but I had no no money to play with and generally just not that smart. And so it was, it was, uh, just kind of a mysterious space and I didn't have a, enough time or energy to get into it in the way that I wanted to. But then I had a couple clients show up that were both, um, crypto companies looking mm-hmm. for the kind of the, the usual platter of stuff that I offer. And by virtue of that, it, I, I was, I was paid to learn. Um, which was, re- which was really nice. And it's funny mm-hmm. just within the last six months, how many of inbound, uh, client work has been crypto. It's just like, oh, a, wow. I, I'm, I'm very curious to hear if that's the case for other people. I'm sure it is industry blowing up and they all need branding and they all need product design. And I'm sure I'm not the only one getting, getting new clients. So yeah, I had, I had two, uh, two freelance jobs come in uh, almost the same time. One of them I'm just finishing up as a freelance gig, and the other one turned into a full-time job. Uh, so starting in January, I went full-time with a stealth uh, crypto deal, and I've just uh, been kind of like jumping headfirst into everything by virtue of that. From Just from everything that I know about you and your work, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like you've embraced it. It's not only just like – it's not only just, just work, right? I mean you sort of – 
Have you drank the Kool-Aid? I guess maybe that's the question. Like, have you drank the Kool-Aid about... And what flavor? And what flavor? Nice. Yeah, like, nice. you know, with crypto collectibles <laughs> and stuff, like, how on board are you? I'm certainly, I'm certainly bullish, and I'm fascinated. My understanding and the market at large seems to have evolved even in the last six months. So, like, yeah. when I first started, it was like, you know, this is, this is clearly, like, a pretty big wave. And I'm, I'm happy to write it and learn about it as I'm, you know, writing it redundantly. Um, but whether or not it's going to pan out into, you know, a new lake or a new ocean or just kind of dissipate into the broader scene is to be seen. Whereas now it's probably more like there's enough money going into this and I'm, I've, I understand it well enough now to understand that it's not just a wave necessarily. And so I think by virtue of that, it's sort of like you, you don't want to fall in love with something that you're not sure is going to be around forever. Right. And so mm-hmm. now that I'm understanding its permanence more so. Uh, I think I'm. I think my imagination is starting to cling to it a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. I've been busy enough uh, between my gig and my kids and my freelance that I haven't. As you know, Jonathan, I have a habit of launching <laughs> projects, and I wouldn't yeah. say that my, I wouldn't say that my project imagination has caught up with my new um, okay. education yet. Where I'm like, oh, yeah, I yeah. can do this and I can do that and etc. Well, I'm excited. I'm. I mean, you know, full disclosure, I'm excited for that moment. Like, well, I think that moment's going to be cool. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that I'll do something. I was going to say I'm excited to see what everyone does. But in general, I I find the older I get, the more disappointed I am in the design industry and how little, (laughs) how few side projects and weird stuff comes out. It Mm, it feels like uh, maybe maybe this culture will seep into design a little more so and we'll see a lot of like weird stuff. But in general, I don't want to get my hopes up too much that we're going to bend some corner. So you're trying to pull some of this like crypto stuff into design i have a belief that there's a lot of untapped value being created by designers mm-hmm. uh, not just mm-hmm. designers but creatives in general but since i'm a designer it's easier for me to imagine what those might be so there's all this stuff that we make and all these skills that we have which i would i would argue are being um, confined to a client relationship yep and i suspect that if we had some different platforms or we had some different cultural leaders or just different literature or history that we would be as an industry significantly more entrepreneurial or mm. artistic or just less confined to working for the man, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. yeah. so to speak. And so when I guess when I'm in, when I start talking about like, will crypto invade the design industry? Like I would love it if it did. I don't know. I, I, I guess we started there just saying, you asked me if I had drunk the Kool-Aid. I am in the yeah. process. I have taken big sips. <laughs> I am. The glass is still half full. It hasn't yeah. <laughs> infused my bean, but that's not out of a. That's not out of interest. That's just out of like, I just need more time. It takes time for that to settle, and it's very much a, a change in how you see the digital world. How, what does that mean? How does that impact what I know today? One thing I think is interesting is like all. Th- just to really quick point this out, all three of us actually came in really late. Um, all three, all three of us got interested. I think late 2017 is like the is is when I got interested, in, and if I remember correctly, that's when you got oh, good. interested too. <laughs> I do hate when people. So this was something that happened um, early 2017. Was every time you would introduce your some, yourself to someone, they would ask, "Oh, how long have you been in crypto?" Yeah, <laughs> yeah because yeah, that's yeah. how they know whether or not to care about you. Are um, you rich? Right. Are you rich? Yeah, but exactly. also, can I trust your opinion? Um, mm, right. Just like, yeah, that's that's kind of how I feel about the topic. But yeah, I, was, I showed up around um, a year and a half ago. So yeah. also, like, relatively, like, compared to today, it's it's late. But obviously, if this thing pans out, it's naturally so early. early. Yeah. Maybe even too early. 
Um, that's that's one of my greater fears. Mm. Right, like um, VR. You, like, what, like, where did where did the VR conversation go? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know. It was it was it was popping for about a two years, and now yeah, VR is in search of a killer app that is not Beat Saber. Although Beat Saber is real fun. You know what's really frustrating? I have a friend who's a ridiculously talented designer and developer, and he he built a VR community slash game slash whatever mm-hmm. and it could have I, I he was intending it to be a killer app and I, it certainly seems like it would have been but then he didn't launch it huh. he, he put it on ice because there weren't because there weren't any killer apps out there and i was like no 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 that's that's you that's <laughs> you need to you need to be that one like there right. has to be some sort of something that draws everyone in and gives them an excuse to go buy the hardware you are the chicken and or the egg one of the two. And so there's just this phenomenal product out there that's just sitting there. And oh, I'm sh- and he's like and he's saying, "Oh, well, you know, when the market picks up, I'll put it out." But by that yeah. time, I'm sure his tech will be dated. Right. Or, right. You know, it's like, "Oh, come on, man." I understand um, his perspective there on wanting to time the market in that sense. Um, just I mean, Ooh. if you look at the whole adoption curve, we're we're like at the the hype bubble. Um, we're somewhere along the hype bubble right now with crypto and VR is very much past the hype bubble and on the slow climb out of, uh, mm. you know, sure. into use utility. I can understand why you'd want to do that, but also time in the market beats time in the market. Thank you, based Buffett. Time in the market beats time in the market. Thank you, based Buffett. Yes. The based Buffett <laughs> is a joke on based God. Time yeah. in the market beats time in the market. I don't, what does that mean? Oh, that's just uh, his little investing wisdom is um, instead of trying to time the market and invest at the right point, uh, just hang out for longer than everyone else. And if the market's going up, you'll make money. Um, oh, was it, was it time in the market and then timing yes. the market? Yes, 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 yes. Ah, uh, got it. Got yeah. it, got it. That's great. Breaking down the aphorisms one at a time. I'm curious, Ben, a little bit about and and I'm gonna harp just on this like non crypto crypto thing a little bit because it's been something that I've I've struggled with a bit. Like I'm curious when you talk to your friends who haven't even the Kool Aid is like hasn't even been you know they didn't even uh, mix purchased. the powder. It's, yeah. yeah, right. They haven't even done any of any of the work yet. Right. Um, do, like when you tell them that you're working on crypto projects, a like w- what is their reaction, and b like what is your feeling about doing that in in sort of our current climate? Well, I appreciate you assuming I have friends. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that's my favorite thing. Yes, my. <laughs> it's like so, much so good. It's a it's a it's a half joke. Right. No, yeah. well, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I have to invert your question slightly, just because my yeah. answer is that the, like the the professional buddies that I have, that I would right. talk to about this kind of thing, um, all got into crypto pretty early, oh, okay. uh, and huh. I was the odd man out. Huh. Oh, interesting. Um, so I have a I have a good handful of of friends who have done very well, and it's actually kind of embittering. <laughs> it's like, yep. God, right, damn it, because they're all single yeah. and live in New York and sure and they had money to spare and I didn't and but are they but they are but they aren't working on it okay see that's yeah and so it's interesting yeah. because they don't have jobs in crypto but I huh. but but I do so I, I beat them out of the gate in that sense um, hmm. but they but it's great because I can ask them questions and I'm like hey man I'm I have to build like a trading interface can you tell me mm-hmm. what you expect from that and then they can mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. they can they can advise me on that so mm-hmm. they haven't they haven't designed anything themselves 
Um, but they're they're excited that I'm in the space. Like they're like, oh, Ben's finally gonna <laughs> Ben's yeah. finally gonna have some windfall, maybe. Um, <laughs> Hopefully, hey, hey, in this market, anything's possible. Yeah, yeah. That's that's actually something I wanted to point out earlier. Is like at this time, like you know, today, the market is not doing well. Um, the whole like trend of um you know we're down what 90 something percent from all-time highs it's it's not a great time to be you know having a bunch of crypto but like you're saying i mean this is the classic sort of thing is oh it's bear market but now we're building but it seems like that's actually you know it's actually true and um based on all of the clients you're getting and what i've seen kind of around the space is that yeah nothing has really changed for the projects that matter and if anything it's you know building upwards I mean, even with NFTs specifically, I mean, yeah. the, the concept is like, you know, barely even an infant. And mm-hmm, so you, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. The, the, it's so rife with potential that, I mean, if you compare the concept with how long it takes to launch a company, um, I'm sure that there's just a shit ton of, sorry, sorry to curse. Uh, I'm, sure <laughs> no, there's just a, I'm sure there's a lot of companies that are incubating right now around the concept right. and we just won't see them until you know, next year. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, if, if crypto timelines have anything to say about it, it'll be another two years. But it'll be an ICO and then product launch like three years from then or something. <laughs> yeah. Like Classic. That. Now that's what a company should look like. <laughs> ben, how, how, how much or how little can you say about the stealth? Uh, I, you were going to get some guidance from, from, from your folks, but yeah, can yeah. you say anything or, or, uh, I, uh, I didn't, or I didn't ask. And so I'm going to, okay. I'm going to air on the side of, Caution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I can say it's um it's art, it's fine art, and it's crypto. And we keep talking about the market evolving. Like even within when we started there were a few competitors on the horizon and there's been mm-hmm. a few that have come out since then. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, like I would say like you look at Mycenas or Masterworks or Codex. Yeah, Codex. Uh I would say it's kind of a mix of all of those with a slightly different twist and some different like a, a different version of the network. You know, I'm designing it, so hopefully it'll look a little better. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Shots fired! Shots fired! Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, I guess I can say that one one major difference between us and what I see in the in the market is that it seems as though the existing companies are from are coming from the outside in, and so there's well, they could be outsiders to crypto at large. I I don't get the sense that they're necessarily like native crypto people either, but more specifically, what I meant is that they're outside the art world trying to get into it. Whereas what we're doing is we're inside the art world trying to work out. And so the kind of mm. access and aesthetic that we have out the gate will be significantly different. I, I, I'm very lucky because the art world is something that I've been trying to understand and get into for a while. And right. then crypto is has also been something that I've been trying to get into. And now I have the excuse to not only <laughs> learn about them both, but also try and like right. super, supersede them both to some degree where it's like, oh, we're the next yep. generation of both of these things. And so it's a huge challenge, yep. but it's also fascinating. And what I'm learning about the art world, I mean, the, the stereotypes are somewhat true where if you're if you are an art platform and you want access to the best works, there are really strong reasons that that's not going to happen. There's just too mm-hmm. much vested interest in not giving you access to the best artists and the like the history of art. And, and no mm-hmm. amount of money is going to change that. Whereas mm-hmm. if you are if you can speak their language and you come from, you know, whatever you want to call the insular that community. World then right. all of a sudden gates open for you that, that other people might not have access to. And so mm-hmm. I, I look at I look at some of the, the things that are out there right now, and it's just like, you know, there's only so many paintings that you're going to be able to buy at auction. 
as opposed to a, as opposed to an art market that's actually excited about what you're doing, which will just change the entire energy of the product. One of the things that um, I think a lot of the existing platforms that aren't specifically fine art related stuff like um, Rare and Super Rare and et cetera, are that what they're kind of do is trying to do is kind of embrace and create this new market for yeah, yeah. you know non fine art. Um, basically allowing digital artists to be treated like physical artists. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, that's, that's a definitely, that's a different perspective. Um, and not really a different perspective. It's just a totally different, you know, approach and niche. Um, but that's, that's really interesting thing as well. Um, and then since you're building from the inside out, you're kind of starting from this art, uh, inside the art world perspective. Um, one of the things that literally everyone is struggling with is trying to make the crypto part of this accessible. And the hard part is this balance between actually, you know, enabling self-sovereignty and giving uh, users this, like, you know, permissionless power, this ability to own their things, um, and then also just making that easy to use, um, where the easiest thing to do would just be to host some private keys on your server and call it a day. And right. at that point... Um, you know, what's the point of the crypto? And so um, that sort of balance of uh, that, that balance and then also obscuring the crypto part and making that seamless and accessible uh, is something that every project is struggling with. Like just to point to one that happened yesterday is like uh, the MLB crypto thing is trying to do yeah. um, figurines, but digital and scarce. And they're trying to sell them to existing baseball collectors as well as crypto people who just want to shove hundreds of dollars into things they don't understand. Have you seen this, Ben? Have you seen the MLB figurine projects? Was it is it wrapped in another It's it's like the first it's like Major League Baseball worked with a team to actually like they're behind it. They're like right. official MLB trademark license crypt, Crypto assets. Yeah. I yeah. see it now. No, I hadn't um, seen this. Okay. Well, it's uh, the, what you the the thing you missed. Oh, the cool part is that they flopped real hard on accessibility, um, and so purchasing one of your little uh, things requires pretty much the same hoops and jumps that everyone has traditionally had to go to go through. Right. Go to MetaMask, buy some Ethereum, da, da, da. Right. Oh and God. then they screwed it up even more by just having a terrible UI and like misquoting prices and just just having bad tech. Hmm. Um, which resulted in bad UX. And so, yeah, if, if they can't do it, um, well, <laughs> I, I mean, obviously the team building that I know nothing about. And, um, Those poor guys. Yeah, 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 guys. yeah, I mean, really. Yeah, but, but mostly I'm just like, MLB is a pretty big name. I mean, it's, at least in America, Huge. it's a thing. Yeah. Um, so how do they let that slide? How do they mm -hmm. let that accessibility uh, happen and is that just par for the course is there a better way to do it how yeah, are y'all yeah. approaching that um, because I presume art people will not want to care about the crypto part yeah super interesting I mean I mean it's very timely too because this is literally what I'm working on right now uh, yeah. we just finished our or in the process of finishing like our feature complete demo of the tech and now that we have that done we can start refining it um, which means how do we introduce simplicity and comprehension? And the, I mean, I'm just going to start repeating what you just said in terms of like, that is what we have to figure out. We're in a, we're, we are in a slightly um, advantageous position because like, let's say we're a two-sided market, there's the sellers and there's the buyers. The buyers are generally going to be, or the, the vast percentage of buyers are going to be crypto people 
who will understand how these things work. And the sellers, mm -hmm. there's only a finite number of them. Um, and especially for the first period of time that it takes us to get to scale, uh, we can just kind of white glove them in the sense of we have, like we can put an assistant in the same room as the person who's putting the asset up for sale and just walk them through step by step. Uh, so we like our, mm. our one side of our market doesn't have to be so perfect that we can't just kind of um, right. force our way through it. Yeah. But yeah, it's uh, the, what, what was that? That was the was that Coinbase that just put out like a great article about all the challenges involved in design right now? Um, yeah, Coinbase consensus also has a good one. It's like, um, do we do you call them tokens? What is the onboarding process like? You know, and obviously we don't want to build our own wallet. Uh, just I, we want to in the long run, but in, if we if we tried to do it before launch, it would just take way too much uh, tech investment. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we're using MetaMask. We have all the same problems that you just mentioned. It's it's funny because as elegant as our interface might be, there's still like this stupid pop up that comes up from MetaMask, and it just makes no sense to anyone yep. who's never used it before. It's so confusing when you first start using it. Maybe the solution is just to do a new do a new skin for MetaMask and try and get them to adopt it or something. Well, there are a few different um, there are a few different ways of doing the same sort of like MetaMask style uh, thing. Because the benefit of the MetaMask um, approach is that you get a unified code base uh, to manage your keys and right. a unified brand to trust, um, and it also separates the third party. Um, you know, anything can be displayed on a web page, and anything can be uh, coded on a web page. But MetaMask has a very strict surface area that it's uh, allowing that web page to access. Hmm. But there are a few different ways of you know changing that around. There's some people working on desktop um, MetaMask style um, management things. So it's a little like bar that pulls out from the side of your computer. There are others that um, integrate directly with the page. Um, there are some that are like Stripe style iframe things that pop over the page so it looks integrated but you still get the security benefits of a you know se secondary brand sure in the future we will simply log into a site and let that site send transactions on our behalf because we trust it um just like we give people our credit cards today and when i you know when i sign up for shopify or something and pay for something i'm giving them my credit card and i'm giving them the right to charge as much as they want to my credit card but obviously they don't because they have a vested interest in not screwing that up. Um, and so I imagine the exact same thing is going to happen once we kind of get out of this like uh, technical dark ages. Ben, I, I was wondering if you – there was something that you said to me once at some, some event that I saw you at. And, and I was, it sort of stuck with me as like a, a strange idea. And I I'm I don't know if I got if I'm getting this right and and I don't even know how this relates to our conversation although I think it does sort of especially in terms of art and tech you, you said this thing about like I want to make startups as art does that sound familiar does that sound like a thought that you had that you had once sure um, I like I like that idea without knowing what it means I like it yeah man um, I'm a little rusty after I left supply I went through what what has it been now almost six years uh, yeah. and I would say the, like the first three or four years were like really, I, my creative energy was very high and I had a lot of concepts that I was trying to push out and I'm, and, and a lot of that has carried over. I think I've just gotten more patient about what their timelines might look like, but there was a period of time where I was, and I, I guess I still am convinced that the barrier to entry 
to launching a startup might be low enough that an artist would be able to push one. Hmm. I guess I guess the barrier to entry there would just be scale. So I was just reading up on Murakami again. One of the things that he's credited with and why he's considered, you know, a master of a certain type of art is, at least from what I understand, is that he was one of the first to really embrace branding as an aspect of his art. And so he put his art into like the commerce market at large. And anytime you bought like a trinket from his line, it became an expression of what he was trying to say as an artist. Uh, and I think that's just an extension of like what Warhol was doing and um, like maybe cause to some degree. And I think that kind of thinking has yet to extend itself into something like a startup. So I, I would say the startups have become kind of a medium of choice of expression for culture at large. And it's really just a matter of time before that gets inverted um, into something that's purely expressive. So startup as art, I think would mean this is a platform that anyone can join and participate in. The parameters that are infused into this into the product are encouraging a type of interaction that is intended by the artist. So for instance, the parameters that were put into Twitter are extremely specific and it encouraged a certain type of communication and that communication mm -hmm. has resulted in a certain type of culture and a certain type of environment. And I would say it was done almost unconsciously or like as a market opportunity or just like as a entrepreneurial exploration. And I suspect mm -hmm. that there will be a point where an artist or a group of artists will be able to put out platforms for participation that express something very core to who the artist is. Mm -hmm. um, yep, yep, yep. And I'm really excited about doing that myself in the long run. And I'm also excited about seeing it happen. I've, I've kind of tried a little bit, like I did Dead Bookstore, which right. was a bit of a product slash art expression. I mean, I was, I was trying to go for like a mix of commerce and art. Could you explain a bit about what, what that was? Uh, sure. Yeah. Dead, dead bookstore. It's still live. It's deadbookstore.com. And it was this, it was an expression of this technique that I discovered, which was, you can, t uh, there's, <laughs> you're going to get me, uh, let's see if I can keep it brief. There's, there's like two ways to bound a book. You can either do signature mm -hmm. binding or perfect binding. Perfect binding is just, you have a big stack of paper and then you glue it on the edge signature binding is when you have a, a wide piece of paper and then you fold it in half and then you nest those folded sheets together and that creates a signature and so it's kind of like light like imagine like life magazine if you get right to the middle of life magazine there's staples in the middle and if you take out those staples you have these broad sheets um, by virtue of the way those are arranged a single sheet of paper has pages on it that aren't intended to be seen together. So like page five and page 95 might share the same physical piece of paper. When you deconstruct these books or these magazines, you wind up with these physical pieces, a found object uh, that has juxtapositions of imagery that weren't intended to be seen. And so I got, I, I just went full bore obsessed. And there's, I happen to live in an area where there's a lot of antique stores. And so I just went out and bought just a lot of books and a lot of magazines. And I just spent a couple of years taking them apart I wanted to, I was, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what the best expression of that would be. And it, I, I felt like the, the supreme irony would be to sell them as objects within a bookstore, but then to invert the meaning of a bookstore. And it's also part of it too, is also that anyone can do this. It's a technique that scales to anyone. So if you wanted to, you could go to a bookstore, buy an old book, take it apart, and there's a decent chance you would find something beautiful in there. Um, and so part of the site is that I, I buried the instructions a little too deeply, but there's, I have instructions on the site for how to do it yourself. Have you heard from people doing that? Have people... A couple, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had a few emails and a couple tweets that are like, hey man, I found a piece, which is extremely gratifying. And I also, I, 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 with the pieces themselves, I give the coordinates for how you could find it if you wanted to. So you don't necessarily have to buy it from me. 
you could go to, you know, abooks.com and find the book and then take it apart and then find this particular, et cetera. Um, the, uh, the project fell apart for a lot of really stupid, selfish reasons, but it's still up. My personal interests are largely pop and branding. Like I'm really interested in culture at large. What, what makes something popular? What does it say about us as a culture when something is really popular or not? And that doesn't necessarily yeah. just mean like Justin Bieber, but it also means like parenting styles or how many churches are there? Or right. I mean, I, I see culture as the, as the operating system of a region or of a certain group of people. And so it, it just so happens that culture is somewhat reverse engineerable especially by people that pay a lot of attention to it, like designers or artists um, or musicians. Um, and so I'm really fascinated at kind of like writing to the cultural layer of society. And right now, I would say companies and brands uh, run culture, like in large part, how we feel about ourselves, mm -hmm. how we yeah. look at each other, how we think about God, uh, what we buy, how we live is controlled in large part by what we see and what we mimic, what we mimic, and a lot of that is just controlled by corporations and brands. And so as a brand designer, it's this huge opportunity to potentially <laughs> operate at that same level right. in kind of like a guerrilla fashion. And so when I say that startups can be art, just bringing it full circle here, uh, that's, yeah. that's kind of what I mean, is you could, you could have a small team or mm -hmm. even an individual launch a company that does extremely well and has massive influence across you know a few million people. And if you, if you imbue it with the right sense of ethics or um, philosophy or even just expression, you can have a real effect on what's happening potentially. And so I, I find that fascinating. Uh, like, the, like the technology is so accessible, the, the, the visual language and the imagery involved in these kinds of things are fairly well known at this point. And it's really just a matter of like massaging it all into something with intent and beauty and you know, and then, and then it gets kind of cynical because like you have to also understand things like what's going to hook people in. Like it, it can't, it can't just be interesting. It has to speak to them in a way. Have those hooks. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be something that they want to come back to. It doesn't necessarily have to, but there are aspects of that that seems fairly necessary or you have to at least understand it so that you can do away with it in whatever way you're able to. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate the question. Um, you're bringing up old passions that, uh, I, I hope to I hope to dive back into it at some point. Yeah, I feel like it ties um, very well into the whole mechanism design sort of game theory resurgence that's happening around uh, just because of the whole crypto decentralization movement. Oh, sure. Yeah, like tokenization. Right, just like trying to incentivize some sort of emergent behavior that represents what you want it to. And in some things, that's like pay for this product with this token, which is a bad one, but you could also do different things like, you know, incentivizing the sharing of art or the sharing of feelings or, um, anything you want really. And that, that kind of like, that even goes back to this whole, um, sort of not, not really transhumanist, but the sense of, um, if you can protocolize some sort of behavior you want to encourage, um, and then you know, now you can cast that out into the world as this sort of autonomous protocol. Um, then you have the ability to, for, for these, these, whatever it is you want to encourage, that can last longer than you. It can become bigger than you. It makes me think a little bit of Da 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 NYC. Are you familiar with them at all? Da 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 NYC. No, I don't think so. Yeah, like the Da Da, like the art movement, dot NYC. Oh, sure. Sorry. Mm-hmm. 
it's a social network where people draw to each other. So they, it's like there are these visual conversations. Mm. Cool. Um, it's all uh, horizontal instead of vertical, you know? Someone will start this drawing, and then the next person will draw part of it. It's sort of, there's a sort of exquisite corpse vibe to it. Um, right. But they, they, they've been super successful in just cultivating a really welcoming, warm vibe on that site. And they're up to, like, a lot of users. They have, like, 100,000 users or something. And they're and they're funded by by consensus oh, wow. now. They just they just oh, cool. um, they they just got. Uh, I don't I don't think it's like acquired. I think they just got like right. It's one um, of the art grant things they're doing. I art believe. grant, yeah, and uh, and they're doing really well. I think I think you'd really like it. Um, yeah, nice. And the people who started it, the woman who started it was was a uh, a creative director in advertising for like twenty years, and just um, hated it and. And they started this thing. Oh, and then you collect, you you collect with crypto. Yeah, yeah. So the, so so they did like a limited run. They picked some of the the artworks to sell via Ethereum, uh, you know, marketplace. Um, but they're working on doing some sort of system. It's really interesting because they 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 think very deeply about how bringing money into this community could ruin it, and 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 how best to sort of do that. They're thinking. They're at last. I spoke to them, and I, don't, I hope this is public. I, <laughs> I hope I'm not like ruining their thing. But but the, and I don't even know if this is going to happen. But the last I spoke to them, one idea they had was to have some kind of um, almost universal basic income on Dada, where like everybody gets some crypto, like sure. for every single work that they do. Um, s- sales n- go into a pool that goes to support the group or something. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Great. yeah it was really cool. neat really neat ideas and thinking, you know, in a completely different way about how to support people and how to make these interactions meaningful and not just combative or whatever. That kind of thinking is, is why crypto is as interesting as it is. Yeah, Uh, exactly. Like, you know, that you could have had concepts like that a few years ago or 20 years ago, but you wouldn't have had a, a tech environment that would have supported it. Whereas now it's like, hopefully this will be the first of many that take that try and take a, you know, a community financial approach, some sort of governance plus, supports plus participation at a, at a, at a creative level. Right. Um, one other, one other topic that we wanted to talk about, um, because it's, it's sort of big and big in our little small corner of the NFT internet world is that, and, and so we're going to explain this to you, Ben, and then you can tell us, tell us what you think. Maybe we should start with like a little history or should we just say, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Give it a little Um, background. uh, It's, it's, it's short, but basically, um, (laughs) so the concept of a non-fungible token, uh, some sort of distinct asset that lives on a blockchain, uh, has been around for a while. Like if you talk to Joe Looney at all, he'll let you know just how long. Joe Looney, last week's guest, uh, yeah, uh, rare Pepe uh, artiste. Right, right. Artiste, yeah, right. indeed. Um, so it's been around for years. Um, but the term, or the, the tech is only recently coming to Ethereum um, over the last, uh, I guess, almost a year exactly, I'd say. We started calling them non-fungible tokens, uh, which was quickly abbreviated to NFT. Um, and then we quickly realized that much like every other word in crypto, it's terrible for consumer-facing sort of descriptions. Um, because now you have to learn what fungibility is, and that's like not something that anyone knows. <laughs> or cares about, yeah. Or cares about, indeed, yeah. And so um, we started calling them nifties. Um, like, this is a nifty thing. People started creating 
uh, different, you know, stuff like Nifty Gallery and Nifty News and blah blah blah. Have you and seen so, Nifty Gallery, Ben? It's actually really, it's 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 a great inner. It's I think it's really well designed. Nifty is it just Nifty dot Gallery? Uh, yep, with an Nifty eye. Di- it's it's just a place to show off your your collectibles. It's like right. a it's a you can, you know, and then you you can like see other people's collections. It's it's pretty simple at this point, but it's really it's like we need this kind of stuff right. to be for them to be a thing. Anyway. Right. Yeah. And I like yeah, yeah. I like the name Nifty Gal like I don't know. Anyway, go ahead. Um uh, about a month ago, um the company behind CryptoKitties, uh, Axiom Zen, rather their subsidiary Dapper Labs, went ahead and trademarked the term Nifty. Um, and if you read the trademark, it's basically literally everything under the crypto and blockchain sun. And that was, to me, not cool. That's kind of the debate that's happening right now is we've, uh, we've kind of called them out on Twitter. Um, they responded not fantastically um, and generally don't really seem to be caring about how the community was using the word as a just just this generic um, Creative Commons-esque definition for, you know, weeks, maybe months, um, and before they trademarked it. What was the response? Um, the response was effectively um, chill out. We're not going to use it uh, to, you know, take down, for example, Nifty Gallery, or we're not going to use it to send it a cease and desist to... Uh, nifty news and obviously you're still free to refer to these things as nifties but to me that is a non-answer it's sort of a it's a very egotistical answer just like the the impending legal overhead of just like well i wanted to name this thing a nifty blank or like i wanted to refer to these things as nifties just in my app as a general descriptor now i'm scared of doing that i don't want to do that anymore that's sort of ridiculous to me as someone who like very much thought this was a generic um creative commons term yeah it's sort of a it's sort of a funny thing too because because crypto kitties is, is such right. the 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 800 pound gorilla in the space currently the the really the only project that has broken out in any way into the mainstream and you know and and they're 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 nice guys. Like I, I, you know, we know. Yeah, they're great people. At least the ones that I've talked to in person. Yeah, and and um, but you know, it's it's this kind of thing where it's sort of an old way of doing things in what many people in the space sort of wish would be more of a new way of doing things. Yeah, yeah. It seems like it it would have been an opportunity to. I mean, if if there were ever a time for new approaches to old legal paradigms this this is it right like is there a version of a trademark which is distributed and and uh incentivized for people to use somehow it's like oh we're gonna we're gonna trademark it in a way where everyone gets to own it or something right that would be much more preferable are there examples of people doing this well surely surely there's there's both counter examples and 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 positive ones where people have owned a trademark and then not enforced it Yep. Uh, yep. And, and I can see how it's bittersweet that now that we, if we if we include it in our in our names or our products, it's like we are adding value to their platform. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's like I, that's not what right. I signed up for. It very much uh, sort of implies ownership. Of... Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen your I've seen your tweets. I, I actually went to bring it up <laughs> just because I'm curious. Uh, I mean, what is the I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you can like, do you force the issue by just blanketing nifty on top of like a, you know, 10 different projects that are all. That's that, that was my suggestion. That was exactly my suggestion that we should all, <laughs> we should all just do a bunch of nifty projects. There's like three paths. It seems to be, um, 
like one we could just you know they could realize that they're kind of being not cool and release it into the creative commons public domain whatever the process is for that um it's not really standard based on all the research that myself and others have been doing um but it would be you know relatively straightforward to just revoke their trademark filing and just say like yeah we don't Mm. want this anymore and that would be cool enough Mm -hmm. for me um option two is to um send an appeal to the uspto before they get the official like recording into the gazette and so that um we've got like six months to do that um oh that's not a bad idea because there's so much prior stuff and you're collecting right are you collecting Exactly, yeah. yeah. And so that's what we're going to do is compile this objective sort of timeline and prior art collection and just kind of hand that off to the examiner um, because they assign a lawyer to each trademark or something like that. And hopefully that's enough for them to just be like, oh, yeah, this is a generic term. And then the other way we could do it is fight fire with fire and just name everything nifty. And then um, as a side effect, we basically call their bluff. If they don't send cease and desists and enforce their trademark on everything, um, the trademark becomes invalid because they didn't enforce it so what they should have done like what they should have done because their argument is we want to protect our brand and right now their brand is the nifty license this um license that they have for their crypto kitties which we've talked about before um and this new thing they're doing called the nifty fund um and so they they should have trademarked those two brand names nifty fund or nifty because those are brand names and those can be trademarked and nifty is not is my stance. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. It needs to be more specific. Well, good luck. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. I've made a habit of avoiding... I had a I had a bad partnership really early in my career, and it went into legalese, and I think that scared me enough that I've... Avo- like, I've never... I've launched quite a few projects, and I've never trademarked anything. And just mm-hmm. in general, mm-hmm. I'm trying to avoid participating in as many legal systems as possible. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, no, likewise. Yeah. I just, I, I don't, I don't envy the process that you'll be going through. And, nope. um, it's, it's, I'm sorry that that's encroached on your, your passion and creativity. Like that sucks. It's crazy going into meetings with investors or potential partners. And they're like, so, uh, Ethereum and, and Bitcoin, has anything actually like, has anyone actually made any, like a real product out of it or like has anyone ever bought anything and then the only answer practically the only answer is ever crypto kitties (laughs) it's like well there's crypto kitties and then you have to explain crypto kitties and it's just like the most i bet that's agonizing it's it's just surreal it's like we're so early and then you know i'm i was just working on our deck for this company i'm involved in and and i'm trying to come up with corollaries for other success stories that have followed this model and it's just there's just and I'm, I spent a little time researching, and then I realized, wait, there, there, I, ipso facto, like there are none, because we know that the only success has been speculation. Yeah, you just you have to look elsewhere to other industries, but then it kind of loses its potency. Right. But yeah, Crypto right. Kitties, pretty wild. Pretty wild, <laughs> pretty wild stuff. They got funding, and you know, continue to continue to innovate in their, you know, on their platform and doing different things and creating the the Kitty universe and people building things on top of it. I mean, they're doing a lot of cool things. You know, we've talked a lot about there's sort of a broad spectrum of decentralization and of all that kind of stuff. And so they're at one one far, 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 far end of that. Yeah. For me, it's like very much an authenticity. Um, Like the authenticity of CryptoKitties has been called into question for me. How so? 
Uh, just the how they've been sort of um, acting with, well, one, the trademark. Oh, um, I see. I see. Yeah, sure, yeah, sure, but sure. Gen- generally, just the, the way they've been approaching the space very, um, I don't know, very traditionally. Yeah, I mean, authenticity is such a big thing for me now um, because right. we live in a digital realm where authenticity, um, or rather scarcity, is either non-existent or manufactured. A huge, huge part of how I, like interact with projects and how I like judge them um, is based on authenticity and my perceived, you know, notion of what that is. You know, it's, it's interesting because so I did this talk late November, maybe early December. I, I called in to this, to this um, crypto meetup in Vancouver. Um, thanks to um, my friend Chelsea and oh yeah. At decontrol. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. And so, and so this was like, Way early on, I talked about my song a day thing, and then um, Mark from CryptoKitties got up and talked afterwards, and he told a story about the genesis of CryptoKitties. It was basically just started with like him going to one of his colleagues and being like, "We're gonna put cats on the blockchain," right? Yeah. And um, and you know, I think about that talk. I think about his enthusiasm and and where it where their where it started for me, feels very authentic. You know, feels feels like a... Can I add a little bit more context? Sure. Um, I just listened to the Unchained podcast where they talk about the um, genesis of CryptoKitties. Okay. Um, and Axiom Zen, the company, is a venture studio. Right. They look at new technologies and then try to build something with it. And the way they got into CryptoKitties was they looked at blockchain and said, let's build something with this. Right. And to me, that doesn't feel authentic, or less. No. At least, it feels it, it degrades the authenticity because it's a venture studio. It's a venture studio and okay. explicitly designed to make money. Like I, I, you can't go judging companies by their you know desire to make money. Right. It feels uh, inorganic. It feels inauthentic. It feels um, militant in a sense, um, and so that's. That's sort of just some additional context. It's, I mean, I, listen, I I can get on board with that to an extent. Like, yep. like I, I think it's I think you can you know when I was watching him give the talk, like I could yep. feel his enthusiasm, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I feel like on an individual level, and I guess this comes this is what it comes down to, right? Is like is you can you can be a big fan of everyone within an organization, but like because of the way capitalism works and <laughs> and things, like the organization itself, you can sort of co- question its authenticity, its kind of like commitment to something more than just a bottom line. Certainly like the way that the things that they've done since then with the nifty license and, and trademarking yeah. um, are yeah. more in line with something that like a big soulless corporation <laughs> would do versus what the individuals that we know with passion would do. I want to, I want to keep talking about authenticity, like as someone who's in the middle of trying to launch a company that isn't native to crypto mm-hmm. This is, this is very, like, authenticity is very heavily on my mind. Like, one of the things I talk a lot mm-hmm. about with the CEO is, like, we can't just be coming out with a product. We have to, we kind of have to leak it out in a way where people can participate in the development of the idea. Or else, that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that's, that seems to be the ethos of how these things take off. But on the other hand, it's, it's tricky because if we're not doing that natively then forcing ourselves to do it is its own form of inauthenticity. <laughs> and totally, so it's like, right, well, do, totally. should we, should, you know, should we be, should we be entering discussions and Reddit simply to follow a pattern that other people have been, have, have, have had success with, or should we stay true to our guns? Like, you know, I have a lot of control over how this company reveals itself or how we present ourselves. Mm-hmm. 
and my native instinct isn't to put things out early. It's more of a perfectionist position where it's like, let's, let's figure out exactly what this is and then figure out how we want people to think about it and then, and then put it out there. And so for me to get yeah. into more of a grassroots position is, is, is inauthentic. Yeah. It's inauthentic. And it's also not necessarily native to the type of work that we're pushing, but it's, it's, it's intimidating. And a, like even crypto kitties, which is like to many people that's like, or I could see how it would be as native as possible just because they've had success. And because they're one of the few examples of a successful crypto company, um, outside of the speculation space, it seems like you have to prepare yourself to have your heart broken just because if we want crypto to scale, it's going to scale to all sorts of actors that don't necessarily have the ethos right in, at totally. heart. Uh, like totally. it, it seems like we're, we're at such a, it seems like we're the technologically we're still at such like an engineering structural level that the foundation that we'll be building on for a long time to come will be built by people with really big hearts for the economics and the utility functions and the you know the governance potential of building a global financial computer <laughs> i just put a bunch of words out yeah. there but i i think it made a little bit no, of that's sense accurate. and, and mm-hmm. so i think all of the the cynicism will be built on top of a, a core of like a beauty and um love and like rebellion um so in that sense i i, I think mm. we're in a good spot but generally I mean, even the company that I'm I'm working for. I mean, parts of the parts of the team are very core to like they've been around for a while. They've they have like a real heart for crypto. But a lot of it is we're trying to build. We're trying to bring an industry in that is very not crypto. And I think probably uh, we'll be doing it in a way that's going to piss some people off. Just because, mm-hmm. like I said, for us to do it any other way would be inauthentic to the to the content. Uh, like let's let's mm-hmm. just pretend, mm-hmm. for instance, like we are porting over the top of the art market to crypto. There are certain aspects of that, of that culture that simply are non-conducive or um, even anathema to what crypto stands for. I mean, even the even the fact that you have to be a what's a, a accredited investor to invest in a lot of stuff. To me, like it's yeah. very, it's, it's a it's, great feat of irony. It's a great feat of irony that took me a long time to accept when coming into crypto because I was like, wait, I thought this was open to everyone. I'm not accredited. Are you saying that I can't participate in all this stuff that's going on? And it turns out that's like. Yeah. And then all, and then it's tricky because a lot of the projects that you like are both for freelance and full time, it's like the language that you want to use is stuff like universal or global or everyone. And you can't really say that with any degree of authenticity because it's not necessarily true. And you can, and you can right. worm your way around right. it because it's like, oh, well, what if we have some like, oh, well, if we have T-shirts for sale, then anyone can participate in the platform even if that means that they're not actually participating in the core of the platform, they can still participate in the brand uh, or they can participate in the company in like other ways. And I'm really excited to be participating in a new wave of the internet uh, as an internet lover or like as a globalist at heart, I, I feel extremely privileged to be at an early stage, but I also have to like, mm-hmm. I find myself creatively having to check myself and say, don't get caught up too much in the wide-eyedness of it because not only does that affect the company but it affects the brand and it affects how you could potentially scale over time i don't know i don't know there's just there's a lot to be said about what authenticity does and is there is there too much irony for it to even be like an actual conversation for it to be an even like an actual conversation like is the fact that we're discussing authenticity yeah um yeah i mean it's it's very hard i mean for the sort of like 
case of should I be doing this thing that is perceived as more authentic, even though that didn't come naturally. Sure. Um, for me, it's like, I mean, obviously that's a hard question, but for me, I very much try to go with, um, you know, what I would have done without having thought about right. that. Um, whatever the heart was initially inclined to do. I just went through a big conversation about this with the founders where it's like, listen, we think that we need to be doing all these things, but in reality, we, we don't actually, and we kind of, it's, it's easy mm-hmm. to be swayed by culture and it's easy to be swayed by the, mm-hmm. by the dominant mm-hmm. conversations mm-hmm. when in fact that's all inauthentic to who we are as like a, as a force. You know, I, I mean, to me, what, what, when I hear you talking about this, like, I think that, um, you know, for the for the it sounds like without knowing too much about what you're doing, it sounds like for the thing that you're building, um, it's perfectly authentic for you just to approach it the way that you're going to. Like I think about, um, you know, another thing we talk about a lot about is stories. You know, and how 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 for these objects to have value, they have to have another another word for authenticity for us is like is they need to have a story mm. behind them sure and, and i feel like as long as that is in place as long as that is there and i imagine that's that ha- that's in the art right like the, it it can be in the way that you guys are presenting it and everything but as long as the artists are authentic and as long as the way that we're you know that you're presenting them interacting with them as long as all of that feels real i think that's enough i don't know i i feel like the i i, I was with you up until the end where i, I feel like the story has <laughs> yeah. to extend not just from the content that you're pushing but also the people that are pushing it the market and the consumer audience is so savvy at this point even if they don't necessarily know that they're doing it um the mass market is able to dissect a company and a brand's pretty like you could you could put anyone off the street and put them into like an art critique class or design class and they could probably hold their own fairly well where it's like that font is speaking mm-hmm. to me in a way where like it makes me uncomfortable or I don't like these colors because such and such. And I think that's fairly new. Right. And if you right. don't have a story that goes from the you know point A to point Z in everything you do, I just feel like our like the the sniff test is so sensitive at this mm-hmm. point that it gets it it can be very difficult to even recognize what your own story is because you're so concerned. I, I mean I, I'm speaking about myself here, I guess, where like. As someone who does a lot of freelance work, one of my jobs is to make sure that the founders don't go too far off the path by virtue of my own influence. Because I can I can take their vision and I can turn it into a number of different things. Right. But if I if we if I wind up talking them into something, that can be really dangerous. They I might sell them on a certain angle, but then I have to walk it back and be like, wait a minute. I just remembered that this certain founder lives in this certain place and actually hates this <laughs> kind of thing. And therefore his passion isn't going to continue for the next few years because we just screwed it up and changed the product vision and changed the, the branding to a point where it doesn't reflect who they are. I like how you turned authenticity into story. That's actually really helpful for me uh, because I, I think that's accurate. Are you telling like a, you know, like a, a, a blockbuster transformer story? Or are you telling something from like the grim fairy tales? <laughs> like, does it, does it speak to some sort of core of truth right. or is it like completely put together with money? Are the founders, do they come from um, the art world or do they come from tech? It's, it's more like art and finance. Finance slash like fintech and art. Okay. So it's mm-hmm. it's like a it's like a double. Oh. Okay. It's like a double foreign. Their understanding of crypto is consistently flabbergasting to me. Like uh, they they are at they are both at a point where they can think creatively about the technology in a way that I still haven't caught up with yet. So it's their their understanding mm-hmm. is authentic and their oh, their the way that we're manipulating technology comes from like a really core understanding of what we're doing. I you know it's not like we're grafting 
bad actors onto like a, a pristine space. I think these are like real hearts for what we're doing. It's just their backgrounds and the fact that we are who we are makes it slightly inauthentic to pretend as though we're, you know, 20 something developers yeah. who are attending all the conferences and, you know, writing projects on the side. One like weird little parallel is like the, the guys from rare, from rare arts labs, they also have FinTech backgrounds. I wonder what that, if there's a, there's like an art FinTech blockchain uh, pipeline. You, you make money, you buy art and then, crypto is also money no but to speak well for the rare guys those they feel very authentic um oh yeah uh let's 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 wrap up here for in a bit um ben i I want you to um to tell us about one last thing before we wrap up we'll see where this takes us but um uh i think my route to actually getting you on here was that you posted on instagram about your playlist on wilson which I listened to, and can you just so can you just tell us a little bit about what Wilson is and and about the playlist that you cur- curate on there because I really enjoyed it and I I just want people people to listen to to that playlist that you made. Wilson is a podcast. I don't know what he, I don't think he calls it a podcast app. He has another cool name. Oh, podcast magazine is what he magazine. calls it. Magazine. Yeah, this that's is good. Yeah. this is put out by Alan Yu, who uh, is working with Fictive Kin. Um, ah, who we're both we're both familiar. So, Fictive Kin is a d- digital course. studio who did Brooklyn Beta. By the way, Fictive Kin, I I was just looking. They also did the UX, UI, and branding for Tune. Oh, really? Oh. Yeah. Yep. Which really? is a, an app. Yeah. Which is the. Which is where this podcast will be. Yeah, I'm posting these podcasts on Tune, and I love I love those guys. I love uh, Matt and John from from CryptoPunks. So anyway, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. Anyway, go ahead. Very interesting. I've been at Tune. I did not know oh, okay. Fictive Kin had done it. I'll yeah, to, yeah. I'll oh, have to yeah. bug him about that. That's cool. Yeah, um, that's neat. Yeah, so Wilson is a podcast magazine by Alan Yu, who's a good friend of mine. He was the designer. At, he was my only designer at Supply. Uh, he came on right out of school. Easily the most talented design student I'd ever seen and continues to just wow. kind of blow me away wow. uh, with his voice and his... Like, he's He's funny because he's... Funny isn't the right word. He's impressive because he is both aesthetically unique in the sense of he's creating that just like graphics or art, but then he's also an, a phenomenally talented user experience and user interface mm. designer. Um, so Wilson is both beautiful in that when you when you sign in, you see these great covers, which lead to different issues of different collections of podcasts. So the way that Wilson works is that he puts together a weekly issue with like three to six different episodes around a certain topic. He designs a cover for it, and then he pushes it live every Monday. So it's got these, these beautiful covers, but then also the experience of using it itself is, is really nice. Um, so yeah, he, uh, mm-hmm. I've been talking to him about Wilson for a while. I've been assisting and helping him develop his vision. Um, he wanted to do curated, like bring a curator on, and I, I said, hey, I've been thinking about I had already been thinking about playlists as interesting within podcasts because mm-hmm. just as a form of discovery, I think that's that's really what's missing from the ecosystem. Like, I really want to so go and much. see what, like, you know, Jonathan Mann, what are you listening to? What are your favorite episodes right. from various different... It's such a thing. And I think Wilson is probably building itself into that through this fairly limited expression of that, which is both editorially chosen uh, Wilson-based podca- uh, issues, but then also bringing in guest editors to do that. And so I was the first guest editor. T- tell us a bit about the playlist that you curated, because I really enjoyed it. Oh, uh, I'm glad I'm glad you liked it. The, 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 the issue is called Mind Breaks, and I'm not necessarily 
like one of my goals with my design work and in general with my projects is I'm really interested in and attempt to like one of my favorite things as a person is just to find perspectives that completely change like really simple elegant perspectives or concepts that affect the way you look at everything and it's Mm -hmm. phenomenal to me that that's even possible where like someone tells you about you know like this is a way to interpret your senses or this is a way to think about your own self or your place in the universe or et cetera. And then it, there's a, it's true enough that you can now put a new lens on top of everything you see. And I love that kind of thing. And I consider it a bit of brain breaking. And so in general, I, I tried to put together a number of issues, I'm sorry, a number of episodes that were really ideally just kind of give people a new way to look at stuff. Uh, and then that just kind of happens to take a, a spiritual, philosophical, metaphysical bent I'm hoping to do a second issue at some point. Be like, hey, Alan, let me do another one in like a year. No, it was great. You had some, you had some Alan Watts in there. You had a um, an episode from Voices of Esalen, which is actually done by a, a, an old friend of mine who I went to oh, grad cool. school with. It was so neat to see that show up, and I'd been meaning to listen to it, and so it was a really good excuse to listen to to him interview. I forget the woman's name. Do you remember her name? Um, I keep getting her first name. It's either Jane or Jean. Jean, she she was really interesting. This woman who just had the most amazing life. I couldn't believe how interesting it was. It's like how have I not heard of this woman? Yeah. It, it, I, anyway, um, I highly recommend downloading Wilson and um, checking out specifically Ben's uh, curated play- playlist. But I've listened to some other ones too. I mean, it's re- it's a really cool idea, a really good way to discover. Um, that's that's a huge problem with podcasts is how to, you know, how to find other new cool things to listen to. Um, and I've found so many small, out-of-the-way podcasts that, like, will become my favorite podcast. And I just find them randomly because someone tweeted about it or something. And it's just like the whole system is, is completely broken for, for discovery. So It's rough. It's, it's neat to see someone trying something. I'm going to reach out to him because I definitely would love to, um, to curate one. I'm a total podcast nerd. I'm sure, I like, feel bad for him. I'm sure it's a lot of work to put together a, an issue every week. So I'm, I'm guessing yeah. he'd be super down to hand off the effort some to someone. So let's let's wrap up here. It's been about an hour and a half. That's a good it's a good length. Nice. Um, so Ben, thanks so much for coming on. Do you? Is there anything that you want to plug specifically? I guess we we plugged Wilson pretty good. No. All right. <laughs> so people can find you. Um, people can find Ben on Twitter at Parat which is P-I-E-R-A-T-T. Yeah, yeah. I think I have that everywhere. Some, some, young, some young blood beat me on Snapchat, I think, which was very frustrating. Whoa. You can find Matt on Twitter at Matt G. Condon. Um, and you can find me at Song A Day Man. And uh, this podcast is called Digitally Rare. Please find us on, on iTunes and give us a rating and leave us a review it's it really does help other people sort of find us although you know we're so niche that it's like everyone that wants to find us i think is going to find us so also listen on tune because uh we get some notes i guess yeah yeah it's true i'm posting these on tune now so you can go to um my tune just go to uh tune and search for digitally rare and every time it streams matt and i get split strike down the middle the notes that um did you get an email I like, did, yeah. showing your yeah every day that people will listen to the podcast um you get an email that shows you the notes that you earned um which have a questionable like unknown value but <laughs> i still really enjoy getting that email it, it makes me really happy to know that i isn't that interesting 500 yeah. of these points
At, and at some point, they actually might have value. Like, we'll see right. if they, you know. And that's exciting. Well, well, thank you for having me. I, I really like your, I like your few episodes so far, and I appreciate you guys putting this together. Yeah, man. Anyway, everyone, have a good one. Thanks a lot. Awesome. I am digitally rare.